0: Leading the way for powerful discussion with thought leaders, business moguls, decision makers, and strong opinions. This is the John Pyle podcast.
1: All right. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, John. Uh, we are. Uh, it's Friday. We are in. Uh, finally, got Brett uh, in. And Brett, what is your? Uh, or actually, I'm in at Brett's here. It's yeah. home at St. Luke United Methodist <laughs> <laughs> Church right, right. in Columbus, Georgia. So, uh, Brett, Reverend Brett, what are you? What do you do? Yeah. Why are you
0: here? Uh, That was a good call. I sometimes wonder that myself. No, um, uh, yeah, I am uh, Brett Maddox. I am an associate pastor at St. Luke United Methodist Church in Columbus, Georgia. And I've been here for 10 years, been here since June of 2009 uh, when I graduated from seminary. Uh, With a master's of divinity, that's not candy making. That's actually uh, my mom makes excellent divinity. divinity, I imagine that's what people want to know if I can. (laughs) I've never made divinity ever in my life, but I've got a master's in it. There you go. There you go. But uh, no, it's a seminary is a training ground for pastors, and um, and so I spent four years up in Kentucky at a place called Asbury Theological Seminary uh, for my theological training, Um, and I've been here since I graduated in two thousand and nine with that degree, and I've been doing everything from uh, what we call evangelism, but evangelism so much as uh, connecting visitors and people to the life of the church, um, and now, really, my role is minister of discipleship. I do a lot of teaching, preaching, and helping um, helping our senior pastor do the pastoral duties at okay. the church. Yes.
1: So, I think the most important question is: Are you a Kentucky basketball fan?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. Duke versus Kentucky? Absolutely you not. Uh, well, i I'll always go for an SEC team over okay. an ACC team. So, in that sense, Kentucky okay. will always be. And for four years, I was a closeted Kentucky fan. But um, uh, but no, my, my allegiance is a lie here in the South <laughs> to, uh, to the university uh, actually. To the University of Florida. That wow. is uh, that that is the well, that is uh, the thing, right there. I'll They're, be able to take that out of the
1: podcast. Well, that just so
0: sounds, <laughs> that might be helpful. And I'm not right even out. from Florida. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia. So what are you going to do? That's close but, enough. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's right. So,
1: <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to talk because yeah. you know I, hopefully we can find something to come up with. There's really nothing going on in the uh, in the political <laughs> or, or religious arena Absolutely. right now. So. That's right. Um, actually there, there is a lot going on and, um, and I got questions, so I'm sure you got answers The tough questions. So, uh, anyway, the, the, the social media world exploded recently Mm -hmm. about a vote that took place and, uh, at a conference Mm -hmm. and I've seen things about people being banned from church and people with, uh. Uh, with their feelings hurt and distraught and angry and confusion. And so what is this vote? What was it about? Uh, let's talk about, let's talk, let's dive right into that. All right,
0: fair enough. So yeah. what you're talking about is something in the United Methodist world called General Conference. Um, General Conference is the lawmaking conference or body of the United Methodist Church and has been that way for 51 years. Um, General Conference is where church, uh, the United Methodist Church's law is set and that governs everything from the theology that we preach and, and teach to um, what we do with our property to who can be ordained and not ordained um, as clergy to um, standards uh, for um, um, who clergy can marry and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is set in that out of that and so two thousand and usually General Conference happens every four years well we had a specially, uh, special called session of general Conference that went on just from February 23rd, I think, to the 26th, excuse me, till the 26th of uh, February um, that had to deal with a specific issue. Um, and the issue broadly was on human sexuality, but the, uh, narrowly it was on the United Methodist uh, official stance, on um, homosexuality as it pertains to ordaining clergy mm-hmm. and who uh, clergy are allowed to marry. Uh, marry. So um, the traditional stand, the, the the law of our church since 1972, I believe, has been that self-avowed practicing homosexuals were not allowed to be ordained um, as clergy in the United Methodist Church okay. and that the clergy were not allowed to marry, uh, to uh, officiate. Uh, weddings of, of self-avowed practicing homosexuals. So uh, that's been the 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 law of the church uh, since 1972. And every four years, this gets brought back up and brought back up. Whether or not we should change, take that language out, uh, strengthen the language. There's been debate on from uh, progressive liberal Christians and conservative Christians on this issue. And so uh, this past week, what was voted on basically was that we were going to uphold the what we call the traditional standards of the church, and that is basically not changing the language which is in our discipline, okay. which is so, in our law. So
1: this was not a vote to ban gays from coming Exactly, to and that's okay. the
0: problem with social media is mm-hmm. that people think that we were going to be standing outside on the steps of the church and saying, look, if you're gay, you can't come in here. That's not at all what we're saying. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is ordination principles and issues. We're talking about marriage issues, officiating weddings okay. and that kind of thing. And that, that's it. And um, what all this came from was there were uh, more progressive liberal Christians, uh, Methodists, who started breaking our church covenant, our church law, and um and there was nothing being done now when you say our church
1: law does that mean every church that is in this methodist group? yes in, okay. the methodist in the united church. Church. methodist church because the
0: book, so we have a we have our law is called the book of discipline mm-hmm. and the book of discipline has everything from theological standards to uh, trust clause stuff with property so that it has everything in this book and it is a uh it's a covenant it's mm-hmm. a contract it's a covenant in which we who come in and we are ordained into the church um, and we 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 sign on to uphold the Book of Discipline. Okay, and so then we had people who were breaking that covenant. You know, and let's you know let's put aside whether or not the language should be moved or changed or not. Now let me mm-hmm. just say, on from the outset, I'm pretty open about this. Uh, I am a, a what's called an evangelical, conservative, traditionalist, orthodox Christian. Like I I'm, I I take a very uh, strong view on the biblical uh, narrative and the biblical standards for marriage and sexuality, human sexuality. I'm very open to that about that but I also am one who is very open to Anybody, no matter who you are, whatever your background is, wherever you come from, the doors of the church should be open to you to come and participate in the life of the church because I believe God's grace is such that it is, it, everybody's in need. If, if Jesus saved me, he can save anybody. So who am I to stand out the door and say, no, you can't come in here because you have this happening in your life or you make this decision. No one would be in church if we did that. No one at all. None of us are worthy, as the scripture says. Right. None of us are worthy. So it is, and it is an uh, it, it is an, uh, an important distinction about what happened at General Conference. It was upholding the traditions, and not the traditions, the law of the church. Okay. Now, there's a lot more to this. The United Methodist Church, as a Protestant denomination, Protestant, meaning not Catholic, as a Protestant denomination, is one of the very few mainline denominations. Mainline, you can think of Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, and others. That is a truly global church. Now Episcopalians, Catholics, and others, they have a global outreach, but each uh, part of the world kind of has its own ruling governance that is overruled by a, a central head, whatever. but they can set their own standards and kind of in United Methodist Church, not so. everybody from Africa, Every United Methodist Church and pastor from Africa to Oregon is um, is bound by the same covenant. Okay. So you've got a lot of cultural issues, a lot of lots of things that you got to navigate through. And that who ma- creates
1: this this covenant? You said this has been in place since 1972. right? Yes. Who, who created? Okay. What was it before? Well, ask a couple of questions actually. What? So what was the the church's thoughts on this prior to? Oh, prior to seventy seventy. It was all
0: yeah. it was the traditional the traditional view has always been kind of the historical view of the church. Okay. And when I say historical view of the church, I'm not just talking about the United Methodist Church. I'm talking about the church historic for 2,000 years. This has been, you know, sexual purity, uh, sexual um, fidelity, fidelity in marriage, and um, abstinence and singleness has been really the basic teaching point on human sexuality um, throughout the history of the church. Now, some of your listeners are going to stop right there and say, that's not true. What about this? What about mm-hmm, that? What yeah. about this? But when you look at the entire history and doctrine of the church, the teachings of the New Testament, it is very clear that that, is, that, that has been the uh, doctrine of the church. So the United Methodist Church, where does it come from? Let's talk a little bit about history here. Methodist movement began in England um, in uh, the 1700s with Charles and John Wesley. These, it was a renewal movement in the Church of England at the time, and it sparked a revival. In England, at the same time, we all know what happened in 1776, just across the pond, right? Mm-hmm. There was a war of independence. Well, there were Methodists who were over here as well from England. Um, they were part of the Church of England, the Episcopal Church, basically. And but uh, so there was um, when the United States broke away, when they won the uh, the their their freedom um, in 1784. Um, a group of Methodist ministers got together with two Methodist ministers who came from. England. England, Francis Asbury and, and Thomas Koch, and they consecrated Thomas Koch and Francis Asbury as bishops of the new Methodist Episcopal Church. Okay. Um, Episcopal means they are ruled by a bishop, so there's a bishop over. And um, so for a hundred years, basically, a little less than a hundred years, there was the Methodist Episcopal Church that was the what we would consider our Methodist roots in, in the United States, and it grew Great Awakening is happening at that time, and there's this great revival and things happening in the United States. It's powerful. Um, in seven in, in the eighteen hundreds, during the time of Civil War, the Northern Church, the the, the the United the Methodist Church split in half, a Northern Church and a Southern Church just along the same lines as the country split in half. And and Saint Luke actually voted during that time to go with the Southern cons to be so they changed their name to Saint Luke Methodist Episcopal Church South, and um, there were Methodist Episcopal churches of the North um, that were like that as well, and it had to do with states' rights, slavery, all those issues. Um, in 1939, there those two factions, those two denominations, the Northern Church and Southern Church, came back together and formed what's called the Methodist Church, just simple, the Methodist Church. And in 1968, the Methodist Church merged with a German group called the United, United Evangelical Brethren Church, and um, formed what we know as the United Methodist Church in 1968. After that, in uh, 1972, they would have their first general conference after that merger took place, and that's that's where the human sexuality language was added into this newly formed uh, book of discipline. And it was because at the time in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, not only do you have a sexual revolution going on in our culture, for for good or for bad on that, then you also had the this uh, with the sexual revolution came also um, more prominence or more uh, a, a bigger look at um, homosexuality from a cultural standpoint as okay. well. It just it started, and I say started because there was a long way to go, but it started to be more become more public homosexuality okay. at, um, around that time period, as a lot of sexu- sexual issues did as well. I'm
1: so. actually in, impressed with, with this because for people that are listening, <laughs> Brett does not have a textbook or note cards or a world history map up on the wall. <laughs> I know is, a lot about a very little. Out, <laughs> this is straight. straight come, okay. So my question is why, I, even in what you were just talking about, I hear about these splits and then they split yeah. and then yeah. they said that whatever happened to, here's the Old Testament, Old Testament. Here's the New Testament. Jesus died. He was resurrected. Yeah, of course. We believe in that. Let's everybody. Let's go forward. Let's yeah. ride a unicorn and play
0: acoustic guitar, and everybody's happy. <laughs> I mean, what, what what is this this splitting? Yeah. Okay. So the church, in general, up for the first thousand years, and I'm being very general in that. So. Um, there were little factions here and there. There were a little whatever. But for about the first thousand years, we can say that the church was united. It was together. And we know that as known as the Catholic Church. Now... To be certain, there were certain branches of that. That is almost reduction by absurdi- absurdity, to be able to say that, because there's a lot of issues in that thousand years. And there were some splintering between um, what we call Eastern Christians, and that is uh, everything in the eastern part of the uh, Middle East uh, world, Jerusalem in um, the Arabian area. Up in what we know uh, as Turkey now, but what used to be known as Asia Minor um, kind of northeast of the Mediterranean Sea. that was the eastern side of the church. In Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, y'all know the song right? No, I was, so anyway I was singing again in my hands, yeah that's but. right. So anyway that so that that was in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, was the center of the this uh, the Eastern Church. And you had the Western Church, which is Rome, was the center of it. Well, what ends up happening is about 1051, 1054, there's a great official split that takes place between the Eastern and Western Church. The Orthodox Church is in the East, and y'all have heard of that probably, the Eastern Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox. or that, That's where that comes from. And then you've got the Western, uh, what we know as the Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. Orthodox means right doctrine or right belief. And so the um, so the Roman Catholic Church gets started. And because we, our background is a Western background, we really only focus from, um, in our schooling and what we understand on Western world history, there's not a lot of history taught about the Byzantium and the Byzantine Empire, which is on the eastern side of things, which is a shame because that's a whole world of our church of the Church of Jesus Christ that is closed to us, and um, and that needs to be brought in, brought in and, mm-hmm. and studied. But for us, the Roman Catholic Church was the church, the really the only church, and there were little breakoffs here and there. But there was a major breakoff that took place in 1517, October 31st, Halloween, on uh, um, October 31, uh, 1517. A guy named Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic uh, a monk priest, um, was fed up with the power and abuse of the Catholic Church and the Pope. And he uh, basically took 95 statements. We call them the 95 theses. And he took and he wrote them down about things he did. He thought that the church was doing wrong. Um, things like um, um, so Roman Catholics believe in a thing called purgatory. It's kind of a holding spot oh, yeah. b- between heaven and hell. I remember and that from
1: uh, Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno. Yes.
0: And they they believe that you could buy you could buy relatives out of purgatory into heaven. It's what's called indulgences. The selling of indulgences. And so Martin Luther... Who came up with that? That was the Pope. I mean, the the Pope, that was was kind of the... What happened is as the Catholic Church got more powerful, um, it became the most powerful institution in the world politically and religiously, in the Western world at least, um, and in doing so, when it gained all that what I would consider absolute power, it used that absolute power in order to get richer and, and more to get, powerful. To even more powerful. Okay. So, and there's no better way to get more powerful than to go to somebody and say, hey, you want to keep your loved one out of hell, pay me some money. <laughs> I could, The Pope can pray them out, you right. know. And so that's crudely. Now, was this a subscription-based service? monthly-based monthly yeah. service. Yeah. I, no, it was a one-time deal. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, but it is uh, 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 so that's what was happening. It was not scripturally based. It was a. It was it was sinful, and Martin Luther called him out for that. And so what ended up happening is when that took place, the Roman Catholic Church comes down on Martin Luther, and what is birthed out of that is a split where you get Protestants. Which means protesters, these Protestant this Protestant movement, and then you have the Catholic movement, and then a few years after that, you get Henry VIII in England, who's like, "Hey, I want to separate too, because I want to get a divorce," and um, the English the Anglican Church is born out of that. So, really, within the 1500s, you get three major splits in Christianity, um, in Western Christianity: the Anglican Church, the Protestant Church, and the the Catholic Church come out of that. What ends up happening out of the, Protest, the Protestant church is um, you it kind of lends itself. On, there's a positive thing about it, and that is the upholding of the, uh, the primacy of Scripture. Sola Scriptura is the Latin for that. Scripture alone is, offic- is sufficient for revealing who Christ is and our need for salvation. Faith alone is, is necessary. We don't have to work to get our salvation. It's uh, faith. That brings us to salvation. Um, we don't. Uh, God's grace is such that He offers it to all people. You don't have to do anything to receive it. You accept just accept Him. Put your trust in Him. And priesthood of all believers. All th- these are kind of some of the Protestant. View, uh, points that comes out of that, but what also comes out of that is people. Uh, you get kind of this birth of a democratic idea, and people start believing, "Hey, our way is the right way," or "or we want to just do this." And so you start splintering out different branches of Christianity: the Anabaptist and the the Mennonites and the the uh, Amish and the Jacobite, and it's just all these different uh, branches of Christianity. So and it so- seems
1: like these the people were just kind of perverting the religion or milking it to satisfy their own...
0: Well, so in the, the, the power-hungry, what ends up happening is it's a response to the power, absolute power-hungry uh, uh, power and abuse of power of the Catholic Church at the time. Okay. Okay and so what ends up happening is the pendulum swings completely the other way where they don't want to have a central government of body a governing body over the church they want each congregation to be able to deal with their own thing what else. There's also a really there's a political element to this that really has nothing to do with the church although the church was a part of it and that is um, in the 15 and 1600s in Europe you also have the birth of nation states that we know of today L- moving away from kind of the feudal systems where you have lords and kings and stuff to where now you have states with leaders parliaments and that kind of thing and what's known in history as the protestant wars or the thirty years war which was a very bloody war it was as much about politics and nation building as it was about religious belief at all. So there's so there's a lot of um, things moving around during that time period, and basically what ends up happening is is uh, today. Is we are we're kind of the great 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 grandchildren of that Protestant Reformation, and that's why we have so many different denominations and so many different churches doing their thing. I wouldn't say it's trying to milk or whatever. I would say it's people trying to uh, trying to. Uphold their convictions on scriptural authority and tradition, and and, and, and interpretation of scripture and the, theology the way that they best know how, and it's mm-hmm. and, and it's imperfect. It's just it is we're we're imperfect. It's imperfect, but um, it, but that's where it comes from. So okay. for about a thousand years, the church, for the most part, was unified. But in that thousand years, that church, the Catholic Church, got very very powerful and very corrupt. And then out of that was birthed these movements that we have today. Interesting.
1: Okay, so let's get back to the so Christianity. Yeah. How big is Christianity? Well, first of all, let's define Christianity. Yes. If somebody is a is a Christian, does that mean that they have accepted that that Jesus is the Savior? That's that right. He came to the earth and in, in the form of a man right. and healed and taught. And preached and was uh, murdered and rose from the dead That's and right. ascended into heaven, Right, sitteth at
0: the right and hand. And God I, Yeah, I hear you. It's the Apostles' Creed, <laughs> man. Apostles' Creed, it's yes. It's the Apostles' Creed. So that is the definition of a Christian. I would right? say so. That would be the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10, 9, uh, 10, 9 and 10, Um, that uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's kind of like this very basic ground-level foundation to being a follower of Jesus, and that is believing that he's Lord and that he was raised from the dead, that the resurrection is so important there. What ends up happening is in the early, early church, let's say in the 300s, 400s A.D., um, they put together these kind of central doctrinal statements uh, to help uh, to, to help define what a Christian is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's where you get things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed mm-hmm. um, as means of teaching what it means to be a believer. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ as one and only Son. And and then that lists out, you know, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. This kind of like his story he rose from the dead, right? And then I believe in the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit become this central belief system of being a, what it means to be a Christian. It's very I like to say that in Christianity you have your open handed beliefs that, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with other Christians on. How you baptize somebody? Okay. Okay. But then you have your closed-handed uh, beliefs. Uh, what these are central, foundational. Yes. And and so I would say the Apostles' Creed is definitely a closed-handed. Okay. Uh, what's what's taught there?
1: I remember in high school, uh, World History, Mr. Touchberry at Hardaway, amazing teacher. Still remember a lot of uh, a lot of information from that. But I remember when he spoke about the time period of Jesus. Yeah. He, he was. He told us. I have to refer to him. Uh, as Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. Um. So he could speak in a historical yes. perspective without pushing religion. You know, right. public school without pushing religion on on people. So most people agree that Jesus is a historical fact yes. that existed. Yes. Right. Most so the people true, do. Yeah. Most people do. So the true defining point is to accept that this man
0: rose, rose from, from the dead. dead. That that is central. If Jesus did, Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we're still dead to our sins.
1: Okay. What about other religions? Do they know or see or view Jesus as a historical oh, a, figure that yeah. existed?
0: Yeah, absolutely they do. Okay. So Judaism does, he's, a okay. pro- he's but he's just a prophet. They don't believe he rose from the dead. They don't believe he's the Messiah, uh, the the one who was to come to, to reign in God's kingdom is what the Messiah is. They don't believe Jesus. They're still waiting. Okay. They're still waiting. The uh, Muslims, they believe Jesus was a powerful prophet, but he was not the son of God. But he was—he was more than just a man. That he, there was something God had done with him. But he was not the son of God, and that Muhammad is the final prophet. So Muhammad becomes the final say um, through the Quran and some other things. Interesting. Okay. Um, is uh, Buddhism? Buddhism believes that Jesus and uh, b- many Buddhists have no problem with Jesus being the son of God. But that's because Buddhists, by definition, are ag- agnostic to almost atheistic. They don't really care if there's a God or not. They're more about the right now and emptying ourselves and, and from, as a way of alleviating suffering. Okay um, It's very much an Eastern, uh, very Eastern uh, religious tradition coming out of Hinduism. And Hinduism, because it is polytheistic, pantheistic so polytheism means belief in many gods mm-hmm. and pantheism mean, means basically believes that everything is divine. So actually, Hindus are more pantheistic; that um, everything is divine. So you and I we're gods, and I mean, we're, we've got God sparks within us—that kind of thing. They have no problem with Jesus being the Son of God. They really have no problem with Him rising from the dead because He's just one of the gods uh, that of their pantheon. So wow. that uh, they have no problem with that. So the other religious systems—they have their their views of Jesus. It's either He's one of the many gods, or that He is just a prophet. A great moral teacher. Christianity comes in and takes Judaism to completion. He is the Messiah who was foretold to come in the Old Testament and he did everything that was foretold that the Messiah would do from the Old Testament and he laid down his life. He made that final sacrifice Jews, especially in Jesus's day and and before that, they had to do sacrifices all the time as the cover to as atonement to cover their sins. Mm-hmm. Jesus would come in as the final sacrifice, where there would never need to be a sacrifice because He's the perfect sacrifice, and that's why you have in the Gospels the curtain in the temple tore when He died, because that separation between humanity and God now was was um, okay. was opened up. So Jesus is uh, for Christians um, is unique because he is the fulfillment of especially the that judaic uh, hope that that we're looking for um, he was the fulfillment of that
1: interesting okay so yeah. and that, and that brings up a great point so here's your here's your uh, your daily double question in the yeah, first yep, round of jeopardy yep. if uh, it is the only way to the father through the son
0: yes okay
1: so with that being said if you do not According to the Christian yes, faith, right? Yes, if yes. you do not accept that statement mm-hmm. that I just made, mm-hmm. then you will not sit in eternity with God. That's right. Right? right. And by definition, I'm going to take that a step further, do you go to hell?
0: Yeah, so what is hell? <laughs> um, and this is where Christians differ. And this would be, I would consider, now some people would disagree with me, mm-hmm. uh, open-handed the thing. Is, Christ, is hell a literal place of fire and brimstone as mm-hmm. the analogies from Scripture is given? It could be. I don't know. Jesus used a lot of images to talk about separation from God the Father. Um, Lots of it had to deal with fire, lake of fire, this kind of stuff. So it very well could be. I don't know. What I do know is that what hell is, is separation from our Creator, is separation from God the Father. And that without Jesus, we cannot, there's nothing we can do to cross that gap to get to the Father, our Creator, the one who put His image within us in Genesis chapter uh, one, um, that we are uh, image bearers. He said, "Let us let us create man in our image. Let's put our image, our our stamp, our our our, um, our imprint in in humanity. And in doing that, if we are apart from that our Creator, then we are going. There's spiritual death. There is there's separation from that. What it looks like. Literally, mm-hmm. um, there's. I've got. I've got. I mean, I can. I can speculate just from what I read in the scripture and what the the uh, what is laid out there. But the ultimate part of it is, you're separated from your Creator for all eternity. Christ has come to bring us back to our Father, back back home, basically.
1: So, what does it mean when when I hear like, or I've read or stuff yeah. that, that Jewish people are God's chosen people?
0: That's a great question. So. All right, so if you take Genesis 1 through 11 and you look at it, think of it as a telescope looking at all of humanity. But then all of a sudden, you got sinful humanity that is broken and that is in need of redemption. And God could have given up and said, y'all just go on your way. There's no reason other than through his love for us that he would do what he did next, and that was he went to a pagan, a pagan, a nonbeliever, actually a polytheist, Um, in the ancient world, a guy named Abraham, in what modern day Iraq or Babylon, went to him and said, leave everything behind, take the trip to the promised land, which is Israel today. So he's going from Iraq, which is on the eastern side of the Arabian desert, going up through Mesopotamia, which is these rivers that run kind of in a crescent, that's why it's called the Fertile Crescent, up in the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula, down into Canaan or Israel. And I'm going to establish a place there, a home for you, and I'm going to bless your family so you can be a blessing to many nations. And so out of Abraham comes the Jewish people. They, Abraham was chosen by God. They were chosen. The reason why they were chosen wasn't because God was sitting there going, these people right here are amazing people out of everybody else.
1: This wasn't his fantasy
0: football. That's like, this no wasn't not his fantasy. The reason they were chosen was because God was going to use them and is, has used them to make His way to make the way back to Him possible. Out of the chosen people would come Jesus. Out of the Jewish people would come the light of the world. God said to the, Jew, to the Israelites, "You are to be a light to the nations." So you know those Old Testament laws that we don't know anything about, but we like to spout out here and there, what about eating shellfish and what about this and about that? Those were laws that were set into place to make Israel separate from everybody else around them. Uh So everybody else around them is eating lobster. Y'all aren't going to eat lobster. Everybody else around them is dealing with pigs. Y'all aren't going to deal with pigs. And there's cleanliness issues with that, community issues with that. Everybody else is worshiping many gods. Y'all are going to worship one God, the true God. Everybody else is working all the time, it being fighting with each other, battling with each other, whatever. But y'all are going to take a day of rest. And you're going to be known as my people, by taking that day of rest. Even something as painful as the circumcision, the, mm-hmm. the, the mark of being a Jew uh, for men, was a means of setting them apart from everybody else. It was a way of setting it apart. Y'all are gonna be different. That's what the word holy means. It means to be different from everybody else. I'm setting you apart. And I'm not just doing that Say so y'all because y'all are, y'all are a special people. I'm doing that with a purpose. You're to be a light to the nations. And I think it's important to understand that because later on, when Jesus would come, he would be known as the light of the world. So out of the light of the nation to the nations comes the light of the world. So Jesus, so God sets them apart for a specific purpose. Now, the problem is they don't always do what they're supposed to do. They start worshiping idols. They start worshiping the gods uh, that are in the nations around them. Um, They start leaving behind Yahweh the the name of God they start they start worshiping uh, God Baal and Marduk and others and when they do that God basically removes his protection or he uh, let me put it a different way he allows um, discipline to come their way through invasions and different things so that's why they get taken out by Babylon the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel that is they coming in, and taking them into exile for 70 years because of their sin and not doing what they were called wow. to do. Mm-hmm. And eventually they are allowed to come back home, rebuild their temple, and do whatever they're going to do. But out of the light to the nation, lights to the nation, comes the light of the world. And so they are a chosen people for a specific purpose. And Jesus becomes a fulfillment of that purpose.
1: But does that give them a free pass to to, to out of hell?
0: Ah, oh, see, now that's see, so no, <laughs> so and that's... no, because the standard for them, because who is Jesus talking to when he says, when Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life"? No one comes to the Father except through me. Who mm-hmm. is he talking to? Well, he's talking to Jewish people. Okay, he's talking to people all around. It's not until a little uh, a couple of decades after Jesus dies and it ascends into heaven after the resurrection, that the ministry to the Gentiles actually starts, Gentiles being non-Jews, that that starts to take place. And so the first Christians are Jews. The very first Christians are Jews. In fact, the first controversy of the church has to do with how do we let Gentiles into the church? Now, think about that. How do we let non-Jews become Christians? Do they need to become Jewish before they become Christians? Do the men need Mm. to be circumcised and become fully ceremonially Jewish before they can become Christians? And the church church in Jerusalem, which is the first church, uh, would end up saying to Paul, who's doing this ministry to the Gentiles, no. No. No, go and present the gospel. We're not going to put a hindrance between them and, and, and God. but here's some standards. They're, they can't eat food that is dedicated to idols, and they need to remain sexually pure. And I think it's interesting that those were the those were the uh, the only two kind of caveats: be mm-hmm. sexually pure and be uh, and that's in marriage and other things and don't eat food given to idols and that so that was a powerful movement that this Jewish sect, is now reaching out beyond themselves to the world, which is exactly what they were supposed to do. In the first place. So, what do you say to
1: somebody that that's Jewish that goes, you know, Brett, am I going to hell? I mean, I think about that Seinfeld episode with uh, (laughs) with Elaine and with Elaine and and Buddy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Putty says, "I'm not going to hell." Yeah, (laughs) I I, I know where I'm going. I'm good. And he's like, "She's like, but I'm going." You know, aren't you upset that I'm going to hell? I mean, the heat, my God, the heat.
0: You know, (laughs) my favorite part of that is at the end, whenever uh, Putty and Elaine are with the priest, and he's like, Oh. "Oh." Wait, y'all aren't married? And yeah, are just leaving. is like you're both going to hell, and Elaine gets so happy about that. That's such a funny, because Putty's going, going to, to yeah. Oh no, yeah, that's such a great scene. Anyway, yeah. so uh my job is to point people to Jesus, be it if they're Jewish or or you know Buddhist or or atheist. My job is to point people to the saving grace of Jesus. So I will answer any question that they throw out to me, and I'll use scripture but i am i'm not the guy who's going to sit there with a sign that says all jews go to hell or you know mm-hmm. whatever i'm not doing that because that's not the that's not what the gospel is the gospel is making friends with people it is making relationships with people so you can share the love of jesus with them and to understand not everybody is going to accept it not everybody is going to take a knee to jesus be it jewish or atheist or agnostic or whatever it is not everybody's going to do it, but my job is just to love people with the love of Jesus and um, and 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 do it that way. So if people really want to know. I'll tell them, okay, here's what scripture says, here's theology, here's this, but my first go-to is just to get to know people. So if I had a Jew sitting across from me who was asking, my first question to them is, my first statement is not going to be, well, you know, John 14, 6 says this or this. My first question is going to be, oh, Judaism, what, so what kind of Jew are you? Are you an Orthodox Jew? Are you a conservative Jew? Are you a Reformed Jew? Because that's going to determine kind of everything. Um, what kind of, you know, where's your Where's your ancestry from? Are they Russian Jews? Are they uh, Polish Jews? Are they, what kind, of you know, where is it? You know, um, did you have, were your grandparents or great-grandparents in the Holocaust? And tell me about that. Mm-hmm. So in doing that, what I'm doing is uh, is make it, having a relationship. I, I'm more interested in knowing their story,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, we're so quick today to, to to label, right? Like, okay, well, they don't they don't do this, so
0: they're in that kind. That's of exactly right. Yeah. I want to know their story, and that's what Jesus did. I, I think of so. Jesus uh, goes up to this tax collector, a guy named Levi. Tax collectors in Jesus's day were the worst of the worst. They're Jewish people. They're like Auburn fans. Well, that's you know? true. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Absolutely. So, um, so they. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure not I'll even get... sorry. I'm not even sorry he yeah. said that because I agree 100. percent I get tweeted That's on that exactly yeah. right. So anyway, so um, tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government. So they're seen as traitors to their people and they're stealing money and really the way it worked out was that there was no like um, there was no law or any like regulation that said how much taxes local tax collectors could take they could take as much taxes from people as they wanted to as long as they gave what Caesar was asking for so let's say if you had a hundred bucks and Caesar said I need 10 percent of that hundred bucks a tax collector could take 75 percent and pocket the rest uh, see that? I mean, as long as he gave that 10% to Rome, he was fine. It, Rome didn't care. All they cared about was our part, mm-hmm. our, our our percentage. So Jesus goes up and he sees this tax collector who's hated by everybody, and his name is Levi. And he goes up to him and instead of saying what. Are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing uh, taking advantage of your people, of, 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 of getting on the side of those pagans who are in charge? And, and wh- what are you doing? Instead of doing that, he goes up to him and says, Levi, follow me. That's it. He's just, Levi, come and be one of my, my people. You know, I've got behind me, I've got these guys who were fishermen. I want you to come and be part of that. And Levi, Lee, and he becomes Matthew. Mm-hmm. The Gospel of Matthew is written by this tax collector. Who does this? Didn't know that. And so, so think about that. Jesus goes to his enemy, that his people's enemy, and says, "Follow me." And Jesus does this all the time. He goes to a Roman centurion and heals his daughter. He goes to, um, he goes to a Samaritan woman. Samaritans is a, is a, another group of people living in the area who uh, there's a racial division between Samaritans and Jews, and they really hate each other. And he goes to a Samaritan woman and 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 says, you know. Um, offers her life and offers her, and and she is changed forever, changed because of that. Not only is she a woman, she's a Samaritan woman who's an adulteress. She's been married five times, and the man that she's living with at the time is not even her husband. And he goes and he says, "Look, um, I, you know, I'm the living water that is available to you." And she goes back to her hometown and said, "Let me tell you of somebody who knew more about me than anybody. He changed my life." That's what Jesus does. And so for me as a minister of the gospel, that's what I want to do. I'm not concerned about, uh, you know, I'm not so concerned about being, um, you know, taking my stand. And this, is, this is what, it, which I will do, by the way. I have my standards <laughs> and I right. will do that. Okay. But My first go-to is always going to be, I just want to know you. Mm-hmm. I just want to know where you're coming from. Everybody has a story. They have a background. They have a place that they come from. And I want to know what that story is because I'm interested. I, I, I'm truly interested in where people come from and what people go through. Okay. And um, that's where I start.
1: Interesting. Okay. So then then let's get back to where we first started about, yeah. about uh, homosexuality yeah. and the church yeah. and its views. I, I have a uh, master's, actually, in, in psychology counseling. Yeah. Uh, clinical psychiatric social work. That's kind of my background. And I took a lot of uh, courses in in graduate school and undergrad, including psychology of sexual deviation, 426 at Georgia. Weird, wild class. Um, I bet it was. Interesting professor, a lot of interesting things. But uh, working in in some research, I remember the TA, the teacher's assistant, telling me, and she was gay, uh, that nowhere in the Bible did it clearly state that Homosexuality is wrong. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, if you think about it now, they've almost made the word homosexual a very negative. Yeah. And I say they, social media, yeah, people, yeah, the yeah, general yeah, public. Yeah. 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 Uh, kind of like the word, you know, growing up. Yeah. You said the word retarded, right? Yeah, right. Don't right, be retarded, right. You know, right. 30 years ago. Uh, now that's right. not. Correct to right. say, it's very demeaning. So that word, homosexual, is almost like this scary yeah. word that you're not supposed to say anymore. So, um, you know, back to back to my original point is is the, and and again, it was it was listed as a mental illness in what's called the the DSM, the the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I think it was volume three or three R or something. And now they're on volume
0: five, I think. That was,
1: uh, I think it changed in 73, if I remember correctly. So before we get into the psychology of it, is there a, can you open the Bible right now and show me, uh, they're wrong, here it is. Jesus said, gays and lesbians are wrong. Right. You know. Luke so, twenty whatever yeah. is that does that exist is it t- yeah. talk on that
0: okay um, and it's a great question so you're not going to see a direct line from the words of Jesus now he does affirm marriage and he in diff- various places you see him affirm marriage and he will even allude to um, marriage being between a man and a woman and and, and that kind of stuff really where you get um, is in the writings of Paul. Now, this is where people have a couple of interpretations. One is that um, people will say, well, the writings of Paul are different from the writings of Jesus, or the, the sayings of Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. never wrote anything down. These are all. So, the, the, the sayings, the words of Jesus. Well, I take the viewpoint from Scripture that all Scripture is God breathed from Genesis to Revelation, and that it is primary and sufficient for revealing to us. So, it's all important. So, the words of Paul are just as important as the words of Jesus. Because it's inspired scripture. It's inspired. So there's that. But there are people who will disagree with me. And people listening today, when they hear about this, they'll hear that and say, no, I don't agree with that. And they're going to disagree with me. And this is play, per place of disagreement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now, we're, we're in the New Testament, now, right? So now in the, right. Do so we in the, need
1: to address anything in the Old Testament? So, yeah,
0: Was so, it? so there were a few places mentioned in the Old Testament. Okay. And that's uh, important to understand, for the Levitical laws and stuff like that. Jesus did say, I I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So those Levitical laws were, again, you're going to be a separate people, a different people from everybody around me. There's worship laws there. So they're important. We've got to understand they're ethical laws, and and they're important for us to to live by. Somebody said one time, and I cannot remember who quoted this. They said, you know, you may not, you, you can be a Christian and not believe, in the Ten Commandments. You can be a Christian and not believe that thou shalt not steal still holds to you today. You can be a Christian and believe that, but I don't want to be around you. Okay. Because you may steal from me, you know. And, 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 and So so those there's a purpose behind, there's a dual purpose or triple purpose or however layers to those ethical laws in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills those, but there are still some of those still laws there that are good for us to live by because they're community building, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to steal from you. I don't want to kill you, that kind of stuff. You go into the New Testament, you've got Jesus' statements about marriage and how to treat each other and whatnot. Then you get into the writings of Paul. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, which is kind of this famous or infamous, whoever, wherever you stand on this, where he lists out a list of what sin is. And he talks about um, murder, and he talks about gossip, and he, he even says we invented ways of doing evil. That's what kind of his uh, covered, the things I'm not listing here is covered by saying that mm-hmm. this is what sin has done to humanity. Well, part of that is homosexual acts. And um, and so he he does mention that there, and there's a few other places in the New Testament. What's going to end up happening is some of your listeners are going to hear this, and they're going to say, well, the Greek word for this, or the Greek word for that, or this and that. Or what about you know this translation here or this translation there? So my pushback on that is, in the ancient world there was there was an understanding of homosexual activity. They may not have had the word homosexual activity, but they they understood what it was. Mm-hmm. And in Judaism, it was detested right out, completely right out, because the nations around them, it was very, it was practiced, and and one of the things with the Jews is they detested it right out.
1: Now, was it across the board, male, male, female, female? Yeah, yep, okay, yep, so they yep. just, okay. <laughs> yep,
0: and then um, there's that, but the second thing is, is that it is, um, you know, people will say, um, see, where was I going to go with that? Um, people will say, well, you know, I don't believe that the homosexuality acts or whatever from back then is what we're doing now, like thing. We we're not. We're talking about monogamy. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about loving families and things like that. Fair enough, I understand that. But the act in itself, the uh, is what's being talked about mm-hmm. in the New Testament and is being labeled as what sin is, like part of sin. So what we're really getting at here is what is our definition of sin. Mm-hmm. And people who there are people who disagree that homosexuality today is, and especially in a monogamous, loving relationship, is 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 can, should be considered sin. I'm not there. I do believe that it is. Now I said earlier, I kind of put out there where I am. I do believe that it is sin because I believe that it all is encompassed there in the New Testament writings. And if you even go into the church. Writings after the New Testament was written, um, there's a lot of ethical teaching about um, sexuality, about purity, sexual purity. Lots of it that um, is 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 given to new believers and how they are supposed to live their lives. A lot of it, in fact, one of the documents I'm studying for my doctorate is mm-hmm. comes from. Um, the An early church document from about the first or second century, uh, and a lot of it is, deals with um, sexual purity being in marriages and, and other places. So um, it, it's there in the New Testament, in my opinion. It's there. Uh, people will disagree with me, and that's okay. What is the exact? Well, but, the translation gets translated yeah. into uh, homosexuality. There's a couple of words, and I can't remember like the, the King Greek James. Yet. What does it say? It is says it? Hom- uh, sec- homosexuality. I think is what King James uses, or maybe they use. I can't remember what King James. The authorized standard version or the RSV, uh, revised standard version, uses mm-hmm. it, uh, homosexual- NIV. Most of your modern translations use the word homosexuality. And okay. these are th- these modern translations are not written by one person. These modern translations have committees of New Testament scholars who read the original languages to bring the translation to bear. And they are a committee that say, is this a good word for this or a phrase for this? Because they want to get it as close as they can right. to get it but to the But if you go icon. back,
1: is its it... Is it- Is it a language that says "lie with the same"? Is it what is? Yeah, that
0: would be. I mean, that same type of language. Okay. Yes, it it means the it means the same thing, even if they don't use the word homosexuality or whatever. So uh, it means the same thing. But what's going to happen is people are going to push back on me. I'll go ahead and tell you. People Mm -hmm. will push back and say, "Well, that's not what it means." And there have been books written on both sides of the argument here. I've done my study on this, and um, the New Testament scholars that I trust in understanding what the Greek words mean um, all say that this is this is pretty clear in mm-hmm. the New Testament. And so, you know, you, what what we want to do is we want to hold to a biblical faithfulness, but we also want to do it with grace and love. So Westboro Baptist Church pisses me off; they tick <laughs> me off mm-hmm. because what they do is not grace and love. By the way, and y'all hear me out there in podcast land, Westboro Baptist Church is not Christian. They're not. They're heretics. They're pagans. Can you? And, some
1: people may not know what yeah, that church is. Westboro, Can you kind of
0: explain? Westboro Baptist Church is a is a infamous church that okay. comes out of Kansas, I think, and it is a, we're led by a guy named David Phelps. And it's basically a family church. It's like maybe less than twenty or twenty five people. And they, but they are so famous because they picket, um, conventions like they were at, uh, they were at the general conference with picket, uh, that, and they have very inflammatory signs that they, you know, God hates, you know, fill in the blank. Okay. And okay. And, um, so they're
1: looking for a response. They're, they're
0: looking for a response. Uh, they picket, are these the people that are at funerals? They and, picket okay. soldiers' funerals. Yes. And, uh, okay. These are those guys. They're pagans. They're, they are, they are, they are not Christian. They are not Jesus lovers. Um, they are of the devil, and 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 I can't stand them. And I I'm I'm not one to usually call a group out like that, yeah, you know, I'm, whatever, I'm, yeah. you know. But uh, that group right there, because they have the name of Jesus on them, and the things that they do, they are not Christian. And I, I will stand on that, even as I speak right okay. now. Okay. But um, but unfor- so that but people because they're in the media, these 25 people become the church. The Methodist Church, or the the or church Christian. in general, okay, the, the, the Christian, they yeah. we're all like this, right, right. And it's twenty five people, but they have the, they, you know, they have the 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 marketing, and they're and they're inflammatory, and the media loves inflammatory. They mm-hmm. just love it. If it bleeds, it leads. and if it, you know, it is what it is. So, um, they they're not Christian, and so but people, uh, and so unfortunately, I so we're not so I'm not them. That's not me. I am a believer in law and grace, that there is a place for justice and there's a place for taking a stand on doctrinal issues, but there's also uh, a place of love and grace. And I'm never, ever, other than Westboro, going to condemn anybody to to hell because that's not my place. Mm -hmm. My place is to present the gospel, to preach the gospel, to teach Jesus, and then allow the people to have their response or their own relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. People can disagree with me about homosexuality. I welcome the disagreement. I grow in that tension and that disagreement. They can disagree where I stand on this, but they need to also understand you can disagree with people. There's this great lie that is out there that says, if you disagree, you do not love. Mm. And I think that's a lie from Satan himself. You, We disagree all the time in everything, politics and where we're going to eat at night. and <laughs> I mean, we disagree, but we mm-hmm. still love. In these important, crucial issues, we can disagree and still love each other. We can. I can disagree with you. I can have fundamental differences with somebody and still love them and give my life for them. And not be their enemy. And not be their enemy. And mm-hmm. I'm not their enemy. In- they're mm-hmm. not my enemy. Mm-hmm. They are, um, they are uh, beloved of God. They are people who God came and died for, and he wants to reach out to them and change them and, mm-hmm. and, and transform them just as he is changing me and changing all of us who are in Christ. So I, they're not my enemy, and I'm not their enemy. And I think it's time for us to call out this cultural, um, uh, 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 this cultural thing that says that if you don't agree, then you can't love each other. Mm. It's a lot. Mm-hmm and people can disagree we can have fundamental differences on the interpretation of Scripture we can and some of my best friends I've got a guy who's a United Methodist minister he is a completely what we call an affirming pastor meaning that he is completely open to wanting to change our discipline and affirm uh, you know bring in um, homosexual clergy and, and, and that kind of thing he and I could not be more different from each other in our theology and our interpretation of Scripture but uh, I respect him. He respects me. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's a colleague of mine. And somehow you're able to function the next day. And, night. and we we're able to function. We, we, he and I, we can go have coffee and right. we can go, you know, we can talk to each other about these different... I'll walk away and my, I'm still where I am and he's still where he is. But we both, our fundamental job is not to go around... And uh, our fundamental job is present the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and we can have those fundamental differences and do that. And um, yeah, so that's that's so. So what about like
1: so? All sin is equal in the eyes of God. Oh, of course, yeah, because
0: sin is sin. So think of don't think of sins as the acts that we do. Think of sin as being separated from God, and that separation. Mm Is what drives us to do the things that we do.
1: Okay, so
0: okay. here's a question. and you've probably been asked this. Yeah. Maybe, maybe by
1: somebody this morning. Yeah. How is the church able to justify a divorced Sunday school teacher or a divorced pastor? Yeah. Or a or the marrying of a of someone who is on their third marriage. Yeah. How are they able to justify doing that, but not allow? gays and lesbians to serve in those roles okay, et cetera, I, et I, I got you yeah. and that's
0: actually a very very good question and this is probably one of the areas where uh, we probably dropped the ball a little bit mm-hmm. on um, but I will say in the United Methodist Church we do have strong standards when it comes to divorce and when it and we do we have them if I was to commit adultery on my wife if mm-hmm. I was and and I committed it I would be defrocked I'd lose my credentials and lose my job all, all, I mean the, my bishop would call me in I wouldn't have a job tomorrow so there are mechanisms in place for getting for for uh, that that there are consequences to that. Right. So we think that if you're divorced or if you do these things that you just kind of get away with. No, you don't get away with it. What about marriages? Have I ever married someone that's been you know officiated a wedding of someone that's been divorced? Well, absolutely. You know I have mm-hmm. because your um, family, but yeah. but. I talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. I say, so tell me how you've come. Tell me kind of the healing process. Tell me what happened. I need to know what happened, you know, to, to how did those marriages end and how, you know, have you learned from that? Have you grown from that? Has there been repentance? Has there been forgiveness? Is there So is there a working towards uh, repentance and forgiveness? That's all that any of us can do. So that is, um, that's one area. I, I would absolutely if someone came to my office and I was on their four, third or fourth marriage, and there is no sense of repentance or forgiveness or life changing them, I, I would say I can't do your wedding. Wow. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we and and so that to say that there aren't those standards, there are. We ministers all the time. Will deny heterosexual couples from officiating their wedding. I did not
1: know that we will, and no. we get
0: we get blasted for it. I
1: thought you just kind of picked your minister the way that someone would
0: pick their organist or their wedding photographer. Nope. Okay. Nope. Well, you can, and yeah. something. And I will say, and this when I was saying earlier about dropping the ball, I will say that some ministers they'll just do it because they don't have a backbone. Mm-hmm. But um, the or minister, they may see it as that. Well, that's one of my jobs. Here. That's right. Okay. But ministers, I know. mm Hmm. And that I work with, we're very, we're very, uh, we're very cautious about that. Um, I have, I don't do a lot of weddings at our church because our senior pastor does a lot of those, but I do a lot of community weddings. So like at the River Mill and other places, and um, I I require them to go through premarital counseling with me before I even will 100% agree to do their wedding. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely, that Mm -hmm. is, so that absolutely gets done. And I have, I have backed out of a wedding before. Interesting. Didn't yes. know that. And I got yelled at.
1: <laughs> By the
0: couple? <laughs> By the couple. They were not happy okay. with me. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable enough after talking to them that whatever past sins had happened, whatever um, was had been dealt with.
1: Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what about leadership roles in the church? Mm-hmm. Do, somebody wants to teach the... You know the the Sunday school class, yeah. and uh, well, you know them. They were dating so and so, and got married,
0: and they got divorced a yeah. week
1: later. And now, I mean, is that what about that?
0: Yeah. So um, that 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 is where it gets a little bit different. When I say different, I, I you know, I think. Teaching a class or talking in a class or bringing up a conversation in a class is different from being a leader in a class where you have shepherding roles and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, personally speaking, as a pastor and as a leader, if it was my, I would make all of our Sunday school teachers and leaders go through. Uh, training mm-hmm. bib- uh, like a uh, basic training on biblical understanding theology and i would also require them to sign a covenant of um of a, kind of like a lifestyle covenant you're you're putting yourself out there in leadership roles so you're going to agree to do this this and this okay if i had that if i had that that's what i would do okay yeah now there you know as an associate pastor there's a the, my 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 extreme power is only very limited, <laughs> um, but if in those kind of leadership roles, uh, I would I would require uh, some covenant making with our leaders.
1: That's that's it. So you're backing up what you say. One hundred percent. Yeah.
0: And again, people mm-hmm. may not agree with me. They may say, "Well, that's just too draconian. That's too that's too too much." Well, that's fine. You don't have to agree with it, but that's what I'm going to do, and that's that's where I feel called. It, what I feel called to do.
1: What do you say or what are your thoughts on someone that says, well, they were born this way? You know, I, I can't help it. You know, I have yeah. a I have a friend uh, that came out in college and I said, you know, like, what about the girls you dated? I mean, are, yeah. maybe you should just find the right girl, you know. Yeah. And, and, well, you know, have you dated a guy? And I was like, well, no, you got me there. you yeah. know. So I don't
0: know if I, you know. Right. So, what do you say what do you what are your thoughts so this is interesting because i've got christian friends who don't agree with me on this okay. i have no problem with people saying they were born that way because sin in my in my understanding of sin sin affects us even down to our dna it completely it, we are so utterly affected by sin that we need jesus to change us from the inside out so if someone says i was born this way okay I have no problem with that mm. because I because I believe sin is so permeates us. We are without the grace of God. We are to our core not good. Yeah, we are broken. We are marred, and we are in need of grace to our very DNA. Mm-hmm. And Jesus can. That's when that's complete transformation. And so what I tell people is the standard that I have seen from Scripture and my understanding of history is fidelity in marriage, celibacy in singleness, and that includes some people, if they feel like they, ha- they have a homosexual attraction, may make- be making a, a statement of saying, I'm going to remain celibate for my li- the rest of my life, okay. um, and, and because of my love for Jesus. My love for Jesus overrides any of those other needs that I have in my life, and then again, people are going to disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Cla- There's this book I haven't. Well,
1: they're going to say, "Why? So somebody's born this way and they feel that way. Yeah. Who are you to tell them to not act on that, that impulse
0: or right. that desire? Right? Who, I'm a heterosexual male who you know likes, you know, sex. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. But I've made a commitment to my wife. I'm not just going to go sleep around, even though I feel like it. Or right. By the way, Jessica, I don't feel like it. But anyway, uh, it's, it's even though I would feel there are some points where you have to kind of draw a line in this. Even with our feelings, see that the problem with the culture today, John, is mm-hmm. that we are so driven by our feelings. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel this way. or I feel that way. We make way too many important decisions on whether we feel like it or not. Yes. And I, I think I think that is horrible. That is irrational because I this morning I woke up in a bad mood. And I did wake up in a bad mood this morning. Do you think I'm going to make some really rational decisions based upon how I feel that morning? No, I'm not going to do that. No, because if you would have canceled today, I would have been upset. There you go. Exactly right. (laughs) Um, And so uh, just because I feel like it, that's not a good enough reason. And yet the culture we live in today says that's plenty of reason. It's hedonistic, is what it is. It's all about you, you know. It's it's so individualistic. It's so it's all about the the person or whatever. And we have gotten away from this idea of community consequences, what this does to people, individual consequences, what it does. And I think a lot of the perpetuating hurt that comes with some of the um, people in the LGBTQ community, but mm-hmm. well, even beyond the LGBTQ community, and it, there is hurt. Listen, I don't deny that there is hurt and pain they're 100 percent to that but part of that gets perpetuated by saying you know it's all about your feelings mm-hmm. without trying to bring some actually healing through conversation and community that can be brought about that way there's this book called um a war of loves by a guy named um oh what is his name i just was looking it up today um um, this is going to be the moment where you're just going to have to uh, go well, with you know, the Jeopardy uh, the Jeopardy theme <laughs> yeah. here while I'm looking this up when on I my a, phone when I have a producer Jeopardy, and yeah, that's exactly be able to pull right that up for us um so we're, uh, we're sitting here let there. me see um, and I've only read excerpts out of this and mm-hmm. it's in my queue like I'm I'm getting ready to read it but everything I've read about this uh, book is amazing this is a guy who in his teenage years, uh, David Bennett, that's his name, okay. David Bennett. Um, and what's it he, called again? The War of Love, okay. the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering Jesus. Okay, um, And the story goes that in his teenage years, he came out to his parents, he hated the church. He hated Jesus, and he wanted to be a uh, basically a gay activist going against the church. He's an atheist, and then he came to this profound, life changing experience with Jesus. And because of what Christ did in his life, he started taking scripture seriously. And because of what he read and he understood, he decided that I'm going to I'm going to i to be celibate as a as a means of that's going to be my sacrifice for the love of Christ. Wow yeah and so doesn't do away with his proclivities or his mm-hmm. feelings, but he he's doing that and like i said i am i'm reading i'm I'm reading this now, but everything I've read on it and the videos I watched of him and um, is, is amazing. And, and there's more and more stories like that, but they just never get talked about. Right. Um, so I get the struggle and the tension that is there. And I get that people who are going to be listening to this are going to say, well, he's just um, uneducated or he's un, he doesn't uh, know what he's talking about, or he doesn't get the struggle or the pain mm-hmm. um, that is there. Um, to a sense, that's true. I don't get the struggle and the pain that they are feeling. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't sympathize and be there for them as a pastor and help lead them in the love of Jesus and to talk with them and to love on them and to be there if they would if they want it, they may not want it. And so um, What do you, you know,
1: say to someone who says, Well the Supreme Court Says I'm a that we're married. Yeah. And now you you at this church, you're going to tell me that I'm
0: that I'm not. Well, that's the different. The church is not the culture. The ch- mm-hmm. church the church is in many ways is supposed to be countercultural. From the very beginning, the church was set up to be countercultural. And um, in fact, I would make the argument that when the church is is in more in line with culture, that it becomes dangerous. It becomes um, it, when, it, when, when, when the church um, gets in bed with culture, that it can become dangerous and even um, um, power hungry, mm. and wanting to be be the culture. Mm-hmm. The church the church thrives when it's countercultural. The church grew the most when it was being persecuted by the culture around it. There was a saying from the ancient church that said, "The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church." Um, the ancient church were being pursued and killed and and sent to the Colosseums and fed to to the wild animals in the Colosseums and set on fire as torches in the gardens of Emperor Nero. And they did not give up. They persevered. They went on. They were being countercultural. And their counterculturalism was loving their enemies. It wasn't fighting against their enemies, not taking up swords against their enemies. It was going to the people who wanted to kill them and washing their feet. Mm. How and and perhaps even dying and doing so, that's countercultural. That's the love of Jesus. Right there. And that's what I want to do. Uh, that that's my calling as a as a proclaimer of the gospel is to show the love of Jesus, even if it means going to people who disagree with me and fundamentally, I'm gonna wash your feet. Wow. And you may kick me in the head, but I'll just turn the other cheek. Yep. That's yep. what I'm called to do. And um so there's debate, right? There's there's people who don't, don't understand this. I mean, they may not understand me, and they may not agree. They may hate me because of this. But I will love them, and I will love them, and I will love them because I believe, well, it's Jesus, as Jesus, I mean, as Paul wrote in Romans, um, God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. Well, God calls me to do the exact same thing, I am going to demonstrate God's love to them. And if it requires me to get kicked in the head, or even give up my life, I'm going to do it.
1: Can that's profound, yeah. C- can can the church do what it wants to? I mean, it's 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 it doesn't have to. I mean, regard. It, can it discriminate? Can it leave people
0: out? Can it say, you know, we? have Well, leave, you know, uh, technically speaking, yes, mm-hmm. it can. So, for example, uh, we're not bound by some of the hiring laws. So um, we can discriminate on religious reasons for not hiring somebody. Okay. So we, you know, we, we can say we're not going to hire a Hindu teacher because we're a Christian organization. We can, mm-hmm. So in some sense, we're given freedom to discriminate. And I know that sounds awful. No, no. But we are given some freedom to discriminate because the government and no one, I should say, doesn't expect that a, a religious organization, a Hindu temple... Is not expected by the government to hire a Christian right and vice versa um, it, a Muslim mosque is not expected to have to hire a certain number of or Christians or Jews it's just not they're not that that expectation so there is freedom there because of the First Amendment okay that is given so absolutely there is some we want to use the word discrimination yes there is there is some to that okay absolutely so, because of the First uh, Amendment.
1: So I've challenged you kind of or ask a few things on on one side of of the debate. What about the the side that's that's 100% in, in agreement? Is it is it too harsh to say to somebody, look, this religion, this Christianity's been around for 2000 years. Mm-hmm. And now that this has become a political hot button, you want us to Basically rewrite or change our <laughs> exactly, entire right. doctrine right, right. based on this. I mean, if, if and this is probably an, an ignorant comparison, but if I if I go to Country's Barbecue and I'm upset because they don't have Italian food, right? Why why wouldn't I just go to Olive Garden? I mean, okay. why would I stand out there right. and protest and insult and slander and boycott and right. march? You know, and again, that's a shallow, ignorant comparison. I realize that uh, comparing somebody's, uh, you know, salvation or, or sexual preference with a restaurant. But right. the point is, what you know, can, can is it as simple as that? If you don't like well, this, don't come here. So, two,
0: two answers to that is: is it as simple as that? On one hand, yes. You can say you can go to a more, let's say, affirming church. That's what they're affirming church. Okay. Um, and you can definitely do that and and, and whatnot. And in, within the United Methodist Church, there's movements kind of of maybe, and that's a clear maybe on this, on whether or not the United Methodist Church needs to have, live in a reality that we are divided, so let's live in that division and mm-hmm. say, okay, we're going to have more traditionalist churches here and we're going to have more Uh, liberal progressive churches over here, and so you can kind of pick where you want to go on that. So in one sense, yes, I would say yes to that. On another hand, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a traditionalist. He and I agree with each other on these issues, but he, see, I didn't, I wasn't born in the Methodist church. I came in when I was 13. I was saved when I was 16. I'm an adoptee to, into the United Methodist Church. So for me, there is no, uh, that, that's where my foundation, I was saved in it and that's it. I've got a buddy who is a traditionalist, but he was kind of giving me this ultimate analogy. He said, you know, I don't want the United Methodist Church to split. I understand that it might, but I don't want it to because I was born in this church I was baptized in this church when I was a baby. I was confirmed in it. I was, or I'm, I'm being ordained in it. Like my life, this is my family, my, my church family. So for people who are more in that line, this is very, very difficult because it mm-hmm. is like leaving your family. Mm-hmm. It's For me, it's more like maybe it would be more like, you know, going to more of a preference model, a theological preference model. But for others, it's more like going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very painful. And so uh, I think it's complicated according to the person and what where they are in their life mm-hmm. and what's going on. And um, that's why people are hurt. That's why there's pain yeah. here. It, well, and I
1: see it on both sides. You know, I always say this, and I've got a friend that says this, that
0: social media really hasn't created us as much as it's exposed us. That's a good point. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. It, it's turned the mirror on us and mm-hmm. we're ugly. Yeah. And um, that's the thing. Social uh, Facebook is not a... Uh, it, Facebook... If you want to, you if you want to know uh, the uh, if you want to see the truth of original sin that we're all sinful, look at Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook is everything from our pride to our prejudices to our hatred for each other yep. and the drawing the lines in the sand comes out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and other things, but mainly, man, Facebook mm-hmm. I think is. I would I would think that Facebook is our tower of Babel. It is us trying to reach to the heavens, and we're seeing when we get in there, we don't like what we see, and no. we don't know what to do with no. it. That's and one I'm, of the that's one of the reasons I don't post on Facebook mm-hmm. is because um, because there's nothing. Did you ever we re- read? Did you ever watch the TV show How I Met Your Mother?
1: Yes, some of them. okay. Do yeah, you remember yeah. the
0: line in there that said nothing good happens after two a.m. Yes, yes, right. Nothing good happens in a conversation <laughs> on Facebook.
1: In a Facebook no, political, political conversation, conversation or nothing good yeah. comes out of that. Yeah.
0: And so what, do, what what we've gotten away from is this, John, is mm-hmm. these face-to-face conversations with people where we can look at each other in the eyes and we could say, I agree with you or I disagree with you, but I'm going to still love you. I'm going to buy your dinner. And we're we're going to be friends and we're going to hug it out and we're going to walk away from it. Right. We've missed that. We've gone to our baser sinful instincts mm-hmm. because, and social media is to blame for that. I yeah.
1: Think. You know, I deal a lot with, with the uh, in my profession with, with uh, empowering, trying to make people you know, look and feel their yeah. best in photography. And the age group I deal with, with the teenage population, right. man, I mean, you can be having a great day and at 930 at night before you go to sleep, you you click on social media, you pull mm-hmm. up Twitter and somebody's called you a bad name uh-huh. or said, I saw you doing this or I that. Know.
0: And boy, it wrecks you. You know, that's it like napalm going it to is. your system.
1: That's right. And uh, I feel I, I feel bad for the youth and my own girls that are going to have to deal with this. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, with my boys, so I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and my wife and I, we have we don't put them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We we don't put their pictures on there, um, uh, partly because of uh, um, sexual predation—the the, the uh, uh, sexual predators who use pictures and stuff. We've we watched a 2020 show one time and it scared us to death, so we don't put their okay. picture okay. up there. So that you know, we're crazy in that way. But you know, we'll do the yearly Easter photo on there, and that's mm-hmm. about it. But. Um, we've also decided we're not going to allow our kids to have cell phones until um, high school, okay? Because we don't want that to be the norm for them, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be very limited when they get their cell phones. Mm-hmm. Is that overprotecting them? Probably, but I it's see your it. choice. It's though. my, it's my choice, wrong. but and yeah. I, but I see the damage mm-hmm. that this is doing out there, and and it's hurting, and. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a boogeyman out there and it's coming through on our our phones and mm-hmm. through social media unfortunately and so this conversation about general conference and about sexuality and about the church and everything so. So I use Facebook for one thing, and it is to keep up with a group of guys who are ministers. And this is, and we have a closed group on there where we share our ideas and we talk and pray for each other. So I have to log in, and as I was logging in to get to that group page, um, I noticed people were posting things about General Conference, mm-hmm. and the things they're posting, it's lie, it's their lies and their vitriol and their hatred, and it's because they don't know what they're talking about and they're fearful. And the gospel, what does Jesus say? Perfect love drives out fear. That's what the church is called to do is to 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 share the perfect love of Jesus Christ that can drive out that fear and can help people come to a saving knowledge of who he is. And that's why I don't use Facebook. That's why I don't yep. do it because I'm, I'm not going to be. I, I had a conviction of that a while back. It was eating me up mm-hmm. and I was ready to pounce on somebody about something they had but. oh yeah i was angry yeah i mean and i went to my baser instinct i went to hatred mm-hmm. and i and it and it and it scared me a little bit that i was feeling that way and i prayed about it and i just said i'm done with this i can't do this mm-hmm. anymore so anyway so and i've it. seen
1: and i've seen the uh like i said the hatred on 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 both sides and i think it's bad yeah because I see the general comments that yeah. you know, my you know, I'm really disappointed in my Methodist friends, yeah. my Methodist people. Like I didn't, I, I didn't vote on anything. I didn't come yeah. out and say I. I and didn't.
0: and I didn't either. By the way, it's a right. delegation of our. It's so anyway, but right. yeah, you're right. I agree with the outcome, but I don't. But see, now I've been put into this group, group. right?
1: That's, that's, that's I'm the white Christian male that <laughs> hates everybody, hates and suppresses right. everybody, right? But that's a whole nother podcast.
0: Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Um, so, I, but before we wrap up here, I do want you to do want to reiterate what you said from the beginning. What do you say to a gay person that comes up, a gay LGBTQ person yeah. that comes up and says, "Brett, am I welcome at, at your church? You're one of those people that voted against me, <laughs> right?" Yeah, am I welcome at your church?
0: Yeah, uh, yes, you are, and um, I would love to have it. And what I tell people, I want to be your pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to be your pastor. The word, pastor means shepherd, and I see my role as pointing people to Jesus. That's that is it. I am. I am. I am to point people to Jesus. And what Jesus does with them is up to Jesus and that person. Um, But I am going to do everything in my power to point people to Jesus. And that may mean at some point in someone's life going to them and saying, look, what you're doing in your life is putting a wedge between you and Christ, I think. But I'm not going to do that the first conversation I have with somebody or the second or third mm-hmm. or fourth. I'm going to do that when I've earned the their right to be able to speak into somebody's life. But from the very beginning, I'm going to say to be it a gay person or be it a um, uh, an alcoholic or be it a, uh, a, a rich person or be it uh, whoever it is, whoever comes in the door, I want to be your pastor. You are welcome here because God's grace can be found in this place.
1: Have you had people that are... Gay, lesbian in the in the in the in the uh, church community now that are here, reach out to you with oh, yeah. questions, comments, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. anger, frustration. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. how how that been? What's that been like? Just, is um, it...
0: So I I always err on the side of honesty, mm-hmm. and so I tell them who I am and where I'm coming from, but that I love them mm-hmm. and that I can love them. That's the biggest thing is. Can you love me and disagree with me? Can you love me and have a different view of uh, these things than I do? Yes, I can, and mm-hmm. I do. And if you don't believe it, that's listen. I can't do anything about that, but I truly do. I did not get into ministry to hate people. <laughs> right. I didn't. Right. I mean, honestly, um, if that was the case, I'd go into be a lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I'd make a lot more money. And um, have a couple more houses. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it. it, uh, If I really got into a profession because I hated people, there are other things for me to do. Right. I got into uh, ministry because I love Jesus. Jesus transformed my life when I was 16 years old, and I want to share that love with others because I believe that He can transform lives still. That's why.
1: Will this church lose members over
0: this? Probably. Okay. Probably. And that's probably yes.
1: Was there? A, did y'all come together as a, as a crisis management team and be like, "All right, this passed, guys. We need to get together. We need to, you know, put this out on social media. We need to put out this fire. We need to get ready to handle this objections."
0: I mean, is that what happens? Yeah. So we do talk about you know that kind of stuff in right. staff, but ultimately, what we talk about in staff is how do we continue doing what we're supposed to do, and that's love people in the name of the Lord and. We understand people are going to disagree with us, and they're going to leave us, and they're going to talk mm-hmm. bad about us on social media, and they're going to. We're going to lose members, and um, we're, you know, we're going to. Pe- you're going to lose members no matter what decision you make about anything in life, be it as something as important as somebody's sexuality, to you know what time you start a service in the right. morning or that. Right. People, people, well, people we're, are, you're
1: getting me to Chef Lee's too late. That's because exactly. You're running people, over. Yeah. people are going to
0: leave for various reasons. We. We cannot, we cannot base our theology. We cannot base the way we do church on Paul. Interesting. We, we just can't. We have we we have one standard to live by, and it's, it was written thousands of years ago, and that's that's our guiding principle, mm-hmm. and that's what we do. And we love people, and we extend the grace of God to them, and um, we and well, let me just say it this way. And this may seem like a cop out, but it's not. Jesus. Said in the Gospels, um, if I'm lifted high, I will draw all people into myself. So our job is to lift high the name of Jesus. He'll do the drawing to himself. We just lift his name high. We love people. We point people to him. Mm -hmm. And then we allow the grace of God to do what God's grace only can do.
1: There you go. I think that's a great place to stop. Amen. I don't brother. want to stop because I, I want to have you back on. <laughs> now let's do it. Man. I want to talk about uh I mean there's so many other things I want to talk about. Other religions, yeah. other re- how they handle segments of the populations. Yeah. yeah. Growth and decline of
0: our of, of Christianity. Oh, that's that one's my new that's my thing I'm studying a lot on okay. right now. So okay. I would love to talk to you about that. Okay,
1: great. Then we, we will uh we shall meet again. Absolutely. Right, I appreciate it. Yes, and, sir. Uh, this has been great. Thank you for Thank very much. Thank you so much. much. Appreciate awesome. you. Awesome. Thank you.